0: Kimberly! Oh, here I am. What
1: up? What up, yo? Let me pause the soundtrack to my uh, to the waiting room. What's going on, friend? How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm in New York trying to avoid the Rona. It's a little too real out here right now.
1: Very real out there. It's very real out there. How uh how's the family? How is uh Big Ron? How's Kelly? How's your mom? How's everybody?
0: Everybody's good, luckily. Big Ron is on the golf course daily. Okay. He's doing his thing in Florida with my mom. My family but Florida have any rules. Florida, there's no rules to this in Florida. They don't give a damn. No. <laughs> they're doing their thing. They're very happy down there. Um, I don't know if you remember both of my sisters. So my middle sister Kelly, she's in San Francisco, she's mm-hmm. fine. And then my oldest sister, she's in Chicago with her two kids, and they're fine too. But like all of us are in cities, okay. so we haven't been able to like get out and experience this fresh air like what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah, I'm on the balcony just hanging out. I, I was I've done it from the house. I mean from uh, my office the past few times, but it's just it just gets really hot in there. So I figured it would be cool. I hope it doesn't get too breezy. I um, Guess we can just start. So we've known each other since what? I was I meant this is this is what I want to start with. Have we has it was it middle school when Joel Kempson went to Country Day, or was it high school when Aaron Pugh started? It was
0: when Aaron went. Like okay. Joel, it's so funny, he was in my advisory group like in eighth grade at Country okay. Day when I first moved back to Detroit from Buffalo. But we first met in high school because of Aaron mm-hmm. Pugh. I remember I had everyone over at my house one day. We were mm-hmm. like 13 and we were hanging out, and then my dad put all of us in his Cadillac and like took turns taking us to Birmingham Palladium.
1: I remember this well, yes. There are pictures of that night also on my on my Facebook. Uh, there
0: are, it was a well, good night.
1: Time flies.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Okay, so let's just kick it off. So uh, you moved back, you moved to Michigan uh, from Buffalo and you're at Country Day. What was the, what was it like going from, you know, Country Day, which is like mostly white folks to Spelman. Um, what was that? Was that a culture shock or with Kelly went there too, right?
0: Yeah, my so, oldest so, sister went there too. So. so, like, my decision to go to Spelman, my family, as you know, like, they're pretty strict. So, I honestly didn't have a choice on where I went to college. I, I'd always wanted to live in New York. And so, I wanted to go to Fordham University in New York, which is in the Bronx. Like, I had visited it. My mom was kind of like messing with me. She was like, Yeah, we can go visit. Yeah, cute, cute. Oh, you got to Spelman? That's where you're going. So it was kind of a family tradition. Um, My mom actually had wanted to go to Spelman, but at the time I couldn't afford to go there. So I think she had kind of instilled that idea. My oldest sister, and she ended up going, was very successful. Then my middle sister went, and then I ended up going. So I was already really accustomed with Spelman. And when I got down there, I knew what I was getting into. But what I didn't expect is like how liberating it would feel to be in that environment like right. being in any environment in the US outside of an HBCU like there's a weight that's on your shoulders being like an African American male or mm-hmm. female being in an Very HBCU especially now that I'm older and like hindsight is 2020 mm-hmm. it was such a liberating experience to not have to carry that weight of race while I'm like getting this higher education you know what i mean yeah, like absolutely. it's just it took away so many other things that maybe i would have to deal with if i was at like a pwi like my other friends that went to michigan or other schools and i could just focus on the experience at hand and then also it was liberating in the way that spellman as well as like a lot of other hbcus as a freshman you have a class about the african diaspora and the world so not only is it liberating there they're also like elevating your your like self realization of like where you came from and what it is to be a modern day African-American woman. So it was, it was just like the best experience. Like I highly recommend people going to HBCU. Yeah, my,
1: my kids don't like have a choice. Like they have like, they only have three options for college unless they get a scholarship somewhere, but even still probably not. Right. It's Morehouse, it's Morehouse, Spelman or Howard or Clark, yeah. I guess if they want, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the only choice they have. Um, so what did you study at school? I never, I never knew this. We went, it's crazy. We went to, we, do you, oh, you probably don't remember that, but I was supposed to transfer to Country Day, like from Brewster. Um, I was supposed to transfer. I went to Cranbrook for first through eighth. And then I went to Brewster Academy to play ball. And then me and my coach didn't get along. So I was going to transfer because Keener liked me. Uh, and then my, like, my parents weren't like with it. So I stayed at Brewster. Um, and then we ended up going to school together in, at, uh for college so what what did you study there
0: economics
1: okay what made you choose that
0: i think from a young age i knew i wanted to get into business okay. i think i always had like a hustler mentality like and my parents reinforced that i always loved money i love like bartering with people i love trying to sell things like when my bike i remember i was like eight years old and i did not want to use my bike anymore so i just like sat in the front yard with like a sign saying bike for sale even though i lived around like old people like no one's about to buy the bike i was just like ready to make that transaction work um so going to spelman it's a liberal arts school i couldn't study business but the closest thing to it was economics right. and looking back on it i'm i'm appreciative that i did have that economics um, exposure instead of business because economics though it's a social science it really is just focusing on supply and demand And it's, it's looking at the consumption of goods and understanding, like, how different, different indicators, like, impact A and B. And I think from a really early on point, I was able to understand basically that, like, any action has, like, an equal reaction. And it played into my approach to a lot of different matters in life. So... Econ is cool. I highly recommend it if anyone's looking into a major and they're still in college.
1: Yeah, no, I, I just sucked at it. I, economics is, is essential, but you know, um, well, it's I so
0: interesting, especially when like looking at like other country, und- oh, not companies, other countries, and like how they're operating. And it really ties into government as well. And it's really interesting. I know we're going to get into this later, but like in business school, some of my favorite classes really focused on like, economics um and worldwide we can touch on that now we can go there now
1: so um and then we can go backward. so you go to you know you. what made you pursue your mba and did you only apply to harvard or were there other places that you were like well maybe i'll go there too or was it like Yo, i'm going to get a harvard mba like fuck with anybody i was talking about like that's what i'm doing yeah so i <laughs> always
0: knew i wanted to get an mba my this one's gonna goes back to my parents just being hella strict like I was in one of those families where my parents kind of set a path for their children up and from a young age really like reinforce certain concepts one of those was the idea that like your education is something that no one will ever be able to take away from you mm-hmm. and like as an african-american woman like having that master's degree or that phd that's going to do nothing but benefit you in the future they also told me like as a woman like eventually maybe i'll have kids and re-entering the workforce it's something that's difficult for women but having that like mba that phd that's going to help secure a job for you in the future so Mm -hmm. in my mind even when I was in college, I knew that I wanted to apply to get my MBA. So I think a lot of the career moves that I made from my freshman year up to like 2015, when I applied to go into business school, like this had always been in my mind, right. and so it helped add a lot of clarity to the moves that I made.
1: Okay, so what? How did you know you, it was time? Like so, when you you left Gilt to go get your MBA, or you left Amex. Yeah. Guilt, so what made you, how did you know it was time? Like, you know what, like, I think I've done, you know, what I could here, what I can here at Guilt. Um, I think it's time that I take that step. What made you, what made you take that step to say, I've experienced what I can and it's time to do something else.
0: I think when, at Guilt, I think that was my favorite job I've ever had, to be honest. Okay. I loved that role. Um, Guilt was just, at that time, was a really entrepreneurial company in the way that if you had an idea you could take it to your manager they would listen to you and if you proved out that this could be an opportunity for the company to make money they'll give you a budget and you can just run with it so Mm -hmm. at guild i had the opportunity to launch new projects programs i feel like i worked with some of the most intelligent people i've ever worked with and i also had wonderful mentors Mm -hmm. so my mentors also had MBAs and so it was very helpful for me to have people in my professional life at that time that I could talk to openly about my interest in pursuing an MBA and really work with them in order to decide like what is the best time for me to go. Um, I also at that time had some entrepreneurial ideas of my own that I wanted to pursue and I've been working on on the side Mm -hmm. and it seemed like the best time for me to kind of step away from my career and go back into. School and also have the opportunity to work on my entrepreneurial idea as well. And I think I was, I'm a life planner, so I was like back. I was doing some mathematics on okay, when do I want to get married? When do I want to start a family? Like, how does this timeline fit into other things that I want to do? Now is the time. <coughs> the <MBA>. Okay.
1: <clears throat> so, what was your experience like for the time while you were at Harvard? What was it? What was your experience like there? Because um, I know, so my business my current business partner I mean she went there in the 80s so I'm sure it's much different than when you went there obviously but she told me that I mean she's she shared with us that it was somewhat isolating being like one of a handful of black women in a you know a MBA class at Harvard
0: not much has changed to be (laughs) honest with you like just to keep it 100 Harvard it was one of the most challenging times of my life I think my mindset going in it should have been a little bit different i was harvard's mba program is a little bit different than other mba programs in the way that it's case method so instead of going into a classroom and the professor just lecturing to you about finance or marketing or economics every class is centered around a case so you read a story about like some business problem or some person and then within that, there's different information embedded. And the professor then uses the information in that case to teach the class. But the majority of the class actually consists of you and your different classmates exchanging ideas. Mm. So it's very competitive in the way that 50% of your grade is actually based off of your participation in class. And so you're in a classroom, you're competing with 100 other individuals to like raise your hand, get called on, and then add some type of comment to the discussion that is actually of value. And then someone grades, like how valuable was that comment to the rest of the discussion? And that's the majority of your grade. A lot of the topics that are discussed in these classes are actually controversial. And HBS kind of sets up an environment that's so that different views from all around the world can be discussed. And as an African-American woman who was placed in a section, so your entire first year of the program, all of your classes are with the same group of 100 people, every single class. And you have an assigned seat, and that's just how it works. Being an African-American woman in that environment, and a lot of these cases are like touching on race, and I didn't have that many Black people in my section, I really, really struggled with it.
1: So, so it's kind of similar to, like, where we're the type of schools that we came from, like, for, you know, high school and It school was,
0: you know, of- John, I think it was different. Like, my experience at Country Day, I think that Country Day did a really good job of blending a lot of people from different cultures together. Like, mm-hmm. when I think back at my time at Country Day, like, the parties we went to, just, like, the friends I developed, I think my inner circle was, like, other black girls. However, like I had a big group of friends that represented different races, ethnicities, and in general, I think people got along pretty well. Um, I mean, Harvard Business School, on the other hand, completely segregated. Like, in my opinion, like people from this country hang out, with people in this country. The black people hang out here. The Africans hang out here. It's. It was just. I was surprised that in like 2000, I started in 2017, like this was still the setup at Harvard <laughs> Business School.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I said that already, I've heard that. So let's, but was it, um, what was your takeaway from it? Or what, you, I mean, aside from, I mean, the, the negatives aside, is it something that, um, I guess, how do you take that experience into, you know, where you're working now or, you know, into life in general?
0: Yeah. So last night, my husband and I we actually watched the. Um... By
1: the way, congrats on that, your
0: are Oh, hey, hey. Thanks. I'll take a sip. Hey. Cheers. <laughs> um. I, we were watching the Michelle Obama like becoming. Documentary on Netflix, and there's something she said about her time at Princeton, where like she, walked into this space that's supposed to be like one of the top colleges like in the world. And she realized that she is just, she's better and just as intelligent and just X, Y, and Z is everyone around her. Mm -hmm. I think that was my biggest takeaway from being at Harvard Business School. I think I went through a lot. I struggled. However, it just reinforced to me that like, I deserve a seat at the table. And regardless of like what anyone says or what environment I walk into, like I deserve that seat. Okay. And so that's one of the biggest things I personally walked away from that environment feeling.
1: So let's backtrack a little bit. You're coming out of Spelman and you start working at Amex. What made you choose Amex um out of college? I mean, yeah. I, so, you want to get to New York, but outside of that, what made you choose what made you choose Amex?
0: So being interested in business and looking for internship opportunities. From my personal experience, like all of the internships that were available and that paid well were in financial services. And like I said, like I'm about my money. I want to be in New York. So my first internship experience was at Morgan Stanley. I was doing private wealth management. It was cool, but at the same time, it was just kind of boring and it wasn't creative at all. And that's not really me. So I just made a slight pivot. So I decided, look, like I like financial services. I want to be in New York. Why don't I try a different type of role? within financial services, but let's do marketing. And so that's what landed me at American Express. I think throughout all of my jobs, I'm just consistently doing small pivots. Like I, I, there's something I like, there's something I don't like about a job. I just make a slight change and I go to do something that focuses more on the things that I enjoy from the past job. And I leave the things I don't like behind. So that's how I got to Amex. I was an undergraduate marketing intern there got a full time offer. And it was really great. I think it was a really good place to start off my career. Um, I think I just learned so much. And it's interesting, I didn't get to pick which team I was on. But I ended up working on a team that managed charge card offers in the phone channel, which is like a long winded way of saying I worked on the platinum green gold card. And I helped set up offers for our call center represent, representatives to understand client and customer behavior so that they can make an upgrader cross sell offer to them. So John, mm-hmm. if you have a green card and you're traveling internationally with it, I would put together some type of like a data analysis and see that because you are traveling internationally, you actually should be on our platinum card. And there's a ton of different benefits on that card that would make your traveling like a lot more smooth. You're gonna be in the airport lounges, no foreign transaction fees, bada bing, bada boom.
1: And so then I would
0: put that into a system and then I'd train the call center representatives on how to like pitch that sale. So like, oh, I see you're traveling here. You know what, like I have the perfect card for you.
1: They did that to me. They actually did that
0: to me. See, maybe it was one of the offers I set up. I hooked you up. (laughs) Yeah, I,
1: listen, I, I'm enjoying it. I, listen, I haven't traveled internationally in some time, obviously, because of right. the quarantine, but no, I, I, I enjoy the benefits. Um, so how do you know when it's time? So speaking of that, you take a little bit from here as you move to the, the next thing and you leave behind the things you don't like, how do you know when it's time to like pivot to the next thing or move to the next thing?
0: I have like a ton of different thoughts on that. I think, are you one of those people that
1: like, I'll oh, let me make a list pros and cons. And then you're like, "Fucking!" it. I'm no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 <laughs> Oh, I have a couple different things. So the main thing is that if I look around and there's no one, one level or two levels around me whose job I want, then it's time for me to move. Damn. That's like a big indicator. Cause if I don't want to be where these people are, then like, why, why would I want to be in this job? Hi, Mountain, do you see this comment here? her hair is better than yours because <laughs> <laughs> people are so mean do you all want right, to you, talk
1: about it i can get you. you hooked up with these products i do i was gonna that was gonna be one of the things that i was gonna talk to you about i need the product okay i need the product i need my hair to be uh l- have the luster and the shine that yours right. has and the buoyancy i need it all so when we get done
0: but
1: I'll text you offline. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get okay, it together. We'll, yeah, we'll get it together. So you look to your left or to your right, or you look up one level or two levels and realize... I always
0: up. Never I left, right. I never left or
1: right. Never left or
0: right. Okay, always, always up. up. One and or two
1: levels up. And you find out, you see, you recognize, I don't want your job. Not in a million years. So then what does the search look like? What is that? Like, how do you figure out where you want to go next?
0: You know... I'm not going to front, like, I'm so strategic and like, I just, boom, I point at this job and I got it. A lot of it, especially early on in my career was just trial and error. I think, especially being at Amex, I was so young in my career that I couldn't like put together themes in terms of what I did. Like I couldn't, say, hey, I'm doing this in my job. So I'm really good at anything that's focused on customers and understanding psychology and building like emotional connections. At that point in my career I couldn't do it. So I was looking at jobs, like what is what looks interesting to me? What do I have like some type of like passion for outside of the office that could maybe fill some of these gaps that I'm missing in like my current role? Because mm-hmm. I like I I'm not really into what everyone else is doing. That's what led me to guilt. It's funny, I remember I applied for this role and I got an interview and I, I was considering not going to the interview. I was like, you know what? I don't know if I really want this job. I had my eyes on other things. I went to the interview for the guilt job and it's, the interview ended up being for a different role than I applied for. The mm-hmm. person was like, you know what? We completely changed this role. Since we posted it but we liked your profile and we thought that maybe it could be a good fit for you like what do you think about like x y and z what would you do with this and it was interesting to me i was like wow like i really wasn't going to show up for this interview but now that i'm here like and what they're talking to me about like this would, i would be perfect for this like this is me yes that led me to my job at guilt so i don't think there's like a perfect formula i think you just need to apply for what you think you may be interested in. And I think the energy will come back to you in terms of where you're supposed to be. I, I don't think I have that much control over the jobs that I've gotten, to be honest. I think I've been qualified or overqualified and definitely the right person for the role, but I can't say that I always knew that I was supposed to be at Amex, at Gilt, at Prada. So
1: you, you go Amex, you go Guilt. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. What was the decision? I mean, I know the the thinking behind it, but what was the point that you knew that, you know what, Amex, I've enjoyed my time here. I've, you know, I've gleaned a lot. I've learned a lot, but I think it's time for me to move on to guilt or wherever it is. Cause you said you weren't even going to go to that interview. Was it the interview that like, I'm applying to jobs and this guilt interview is just like, they actually offered me something that I hadn't even considered. And I think I, w- I would like to try my hand at that. Or was it like a combination of like, I think I've reached my limit here at Amex and I'm ready to go somewhere else. And then this guilt opportunity was just something that you you wanted to take a, you know, you wanna dive into.
0: I think it was a definitely a combination of both. I think what led me to even be searching for roles is that I looked around and I didn't see a, a next step that I was interested in. And so the next step for me outside of Amex was just looking for roles that seemed kind of interesting applying But when I walked into that interview for guilt or rather, when I walked out of that interview, I knew I wanted that job. Like it was over. I called my parents. I called some of my closest friends. I started like researching all types of stuff. I started like, in my planning ways, I started backtracking. Like if I take this job, how does this support my goals of going to business school? That played a really big factor in the job that I took at that point because I knew that I wanted to go, to, go into a role where my um, direct manager also had an MBA because it would support my application process as well as I wanted, if I did go to a startup, I wanted it to be founded by MBAs. So all of these kind of layered up to where I wanted to go in the next five years. So it was, there was no risk associated with me going into that role basically because it supported my like, short term and somewhat long-term plans
1: so is that so you just touched on something is that something you eventually want to do like you, you've spoken about entrepreneurship and we have a bunch of stuff that we haven't even gotten to yet but you've spoken about entrepreneurship and you just touched on startups is that something that has a you know an interest for you is that a, your interests lie there at some point you want to get there what is what is what are your yeah entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial pursuits or dreams if definitely
0: i definitely want to be an entrepreneur so that's a big reason of why I went to business school and why I decided to actually move to Rwanda for a couple of months prior to going to business school Um, I wanted to start a tea company and that had been my main focus for maybe like two years starting a tea company I had like a whole story behind it I'd started sourcing blends um, coming up with some own mixes of my own and that was what my main pursuit was when I started my MBA at Harvard um, after working on it a little bit more fleshing out the business idea and talking to some investors, I decided that I don't think it's the best opportunity because the numbers just weren't adding up. Um, you mean starting so a tea I- company? Pardon? You mean starting a tea company? It was Yeah. So I started a tea company. It was called Soka Tea. Okay. And I had my blends and I traveled to a bunch of different countries around the world to like source these blends. I was really into it, but the numbers just didn't add up. and. As we touched on very early in this interview, I'm, money. I'm just about my money. So <laughs> I'm not trying to do like a business just because it's like cute or it's a hobby because there's opportunity costs in me being away from the workforce for doing this. So if I'm going to start a company, it's going to be like a very financially successful company. And when I got deeper into my Soka tea business, really the summer after my first year being at Harvard business school, they give you, um, if you have a business idea, you can receive a fellowship through Harvard to work on your business idea over the summer. So I spent the whole summer working on it. And I just decided, you know what, like this isn't going to work out in the way that I want it to. It kind of left me at this ground zero point in terms of my career, because I did then figure out where I want to go next. And that's kind of what led me to take that time away from the MBA program and return to the workforce and like figure some other things out.
1: Okay. So tell me about the Aquila Institute and your role in it. And how did that come about? And you know, what made you, you know, choose to go to Rwanda for some time?
0: Yeah. Very random decision. So I, I had always just wanted to move to Africa, the continent. I think I've been calling my name for a while. I think a lot of like young African-Americans in our generation, especially in the past five years, have just like felt this. Like I think we've been going to the continent, not only for vacations, but doing work and just exploring that element of our past and kind of rewriting the narrative of what Africa is. Because I, I just feel like when I was younger, there was a story that was told to me about like what Africa is really about. And I wanted to learn a bit about it for myself. So when I applied to business school, I ended up applying to HBS round three. And what that means is I, in the MBA application process, there's three rounds, right? 45% of people are let in round one, 45% of people are let in round two. 10% of people are let in round three.
1: That means like round
0: three is like, if you got in on that 10%, like you're actually like the shit. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but everyone was like, don't do it. Like apply round two or just wait until next year. I didn't apply round two because I didn't feel like my test scores were like as good as I wanted them to be. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna wait. I'm gonna take my test again and I'm gonna apply round three. Um, I ended up getting in round three But with that, I was placed on automatic deferment. So I was admitted, but they told me I would have to join the class the the next year. In my mind, that tells me that they really wanted me, but like the class, this class was just full, but they know they want me next year. So that kind of created a cool little gap year for me where I took it as I can do anything I want during this time. My parents took it as like prepare for business school but I was pretty adamant about creating some type of experience for myself prior to going into business school that I never would be able to do again. So I had quite a few friends that worked in both East Africa and West Africa, and I just started talking to them about like different opportunities to um, work with some of the, work with some of the nonprofit companies that they work for. So I finally identified one opportunity it was with a school called the akila institute and the akila institute it is the first women's accredited college in rwanda for those of you who are not familiar with rwanda it's one of the smallest countries in africa it's in eastern africa it's landlocked and it has a really interesting history because in 1994 it experienced a huge genocide where a large amount of the population was wiped out so it kind of has um a strong like past and through that past they've been weaving a new generation of young people and really educating women and moving forward with technology so i received an intro to the heila institute i chatted with some of the administrators about like my background um, i mentioned that i went to spelman college which is like an african-american women's college and my interest in entrepreneurship and they told me that they were interested in launching the first cohort of their incubation center for entre- entrepreneurship for students who have small business ideas could come into this incubation center and work on fleshing out these ideas, validating their business model, um, identifying who is their target segment and really testing out their product and taking it to market. And so it was just kind of a serendipitous opportunity because that's a passion that I have and I have experience in that. So I told them if they'd have me, I'd be happy to like lead that first cohort of incubation center. And I told them they didn't have to pay me. Uh, so they were like, "Yeah, come on over." And once again, being about my money, I negotiated with Gilt, um, allowing me to work remotely from Rwanda for four months. And they get the bag. Get, secure the bag, Kim. <laughs> secure the damn bag. You have to secure the bag. So I like reduced my hours by twenty percent so that I could still be full time and get benefits. But but I just adjusted my hours. My friend, one of my friends who worked at Gilt with me, makes fun of this because i had like an automatic response like if you're receiving this email you have reached me outside of my business hours i'm available like 1 a.m to like 10 a.m daily it was like wild because i was on a time difference but
1: a very 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 different time yeah
0: what you were on you were that's, how many hours difference is that how many i think it's is it no it's like you're it's like six hour difference yeah so, but it was an amazing experience what's what's a highlight that you can share
1: uh, you know of that experience
0: i mean i think there is there's professional highlights there's like a service highlight and there's a leisurely highlight if that makes sense i think from a service standpoint just like we got a little with- time
1: we got a little time what we got a little time so the let- Let's I'll be quick. I'll be
0: quick. Okay, from like a service standpoint, obviously like working with these young women in Rwanda and working with them on their business ideas, it was really, it was really powerful experience. I mean, their business ideas were things as simple as like, okay, I want like a hair salon that's just just for kids because there's issues, you know, like women of African descent, like we're about our hair, no matter where you go. But they were telling me about some local issues with like salons not allowing kids in the salons. and different issues. I'm like, okay, this is a great idea. Like, how do we take this to market? How do we go out into the streets and like survey people and understand like what their preferences would be? Like, how do we set the pricing up for this? And just seeing that entrepreneurial spirit alive and then just being in this country and, and being part of like the rise of women and their education, it was just like really powerful. Um, from a professional standpoint, I traveled all around, East Africa, like sourcing tea. So I was in Rwanda. I was in Kenya. um, I was in the DRC. I was in all these places, just going to different tea farms and tasting things and building relationships. So that was just really cool just to learn more about tea. And then um, just from like a leisurely aspect, I did so much traveling because I was still making my guilt salary, but living in Rwanda. So I did like,
1: so yeah, many standing. things. I did so yeah. much
0: civil travel. Um, my last week, my now husband came over and we went to the DRC and we trekked gorillas. So there's something you can do in East Africa where you can like go into the jungle. You find a family of gorillas and you can just hang out with them for an hour. It is crazy. Like it's not, huge gorillas. It's dangerous. It's, I mean, you would think it is, but these gorillas are chilling like silverback gorillas. I think they're just so used to it. They will walk right by you like little baby gorillas just like playing and you're there. Like we have to wear like a little face mask, actually similar to these coronavirus face masks, ironically, so, so we, we don't spread do. our diseases to them, but you would just be in the jungle. And then we also hiked this active volcano called Nirgongo in the DRC. We like hiked up this mountain for eight hours saw this active volcano then we slept in little huts at the top of the volcano at the top of an active down. volcano yes That you don't know when it's gonna erupt it's not gonna erupt scientists can tell if something's about to erupt oh yeah i'll kill you okay that's what's up oh, yeah. so that was <laughs> really cool because now you can't go there because some of the um, like there's a lot of like political and like activity in the DRC. So it's not necessarily safe to go at the current moment. So it was nice that we were able to go when it was okay to go. Gotcha.
1: Um, So you come back, uh, B-School, you're at HBS, you do your first year. What made you decide to forego your second year and like go into luxury retail and at product? Like, and and this this is, go ahead.
0: It's a mix of things. I think we touched on this earlier in the way that HBS was not my favorite place. Like it, it wasn't my favorite place. Um, the reason I'd gone to business school was mainly because I wanted to start this tea idea. After working on it over the summer, I had changed my mind, like I didn't want to do that full term. So it just seemed like a good time for me to hit pause on the MBA. And luckily, that's something you can do. Harvard allows you to defer your MBA for five years. So there's a lot of flexibility with that. And you can return and finish your second year, whenever you'd like. And I had started thinking about like past career experiences and like luxury retail and fashion was something that I've always been interested in, not only from a professional standpoint, but just from a personal standpoint. When I was at HBS, I'd been very active in the retail luxury goods club. I'd helped like chair some fashion shows they had there. So it just seemed like an interest that I had, that I had fully dove into. and i knew a couple people that were working in the space so i thought it'd be a good idea to really pursue that and reopen reopen that chapter of my professional life and i'm so glad i did because i found this opportunity at prada and it's been yeah
1: so let's so let's let's talk about it
0: let's talk about it big
1: time what (laughs) is what is what is it like what is it like working for one of the premier i mean one of the most innovative fashion houses like you know in the history of fashion to me at least in um, and even where we're from, like, you remember when we were in, in high school and niggas are wearing, yeah, we could curse on There's these pockets, by the everybody way, had the niggas, niggas is wearing Prada boots, the Prada, the Sway sneakers, the America's Cup, like everybody had them. So like, what is it like to now be a part, kind of be a part of that, you know, that corporate culture. And then, you know, um, I would imagine, you know, even in my field, like we're a minority owned hedge fund. So like, there are not a lot of people that look like us in our space. What is it like for you? in that space, navigating in that space, being good at your fucking job in that space. And like, yeah, what's it it like? And and what wisdom can you
0: impart? It's crazy. So I'll first start off by saying this. I got this job because I slid into the hiring manager's DMs on LinkedIn. So I feel like this is just like, this is an important part of like searching for a job. Like if you, earlier in my career, as I mentioned, it's like, I didn't really know what would be the best job for me. Jobs kind of came to me. I had applied for this Prada job, and I remember like a week and a half. I was like a week and a half later. I was like, "Oh, wait, no one's reached out to me. Like that's interesting because like I'm the best person for this job." Hawkish. So I, I did some LinkedIn stalking. I found the hiring manager, and I like slid into his DMs. I was like, "Hi, I like, just want to introduce myself. Blah blah blah. Kim Perdle. I think that I'm the best person for this. This is why. Please let me know if you're interested. Cheers, Kim. <laughs> like, okay. Um. Next day he responded, said that he let HR know. I had an interview scheduled like two days later. So very important about like getting a job in these days and times. I think you really just need to go after what you want. Working for Prada is like, it's crazy. It's so crazy. A lot of people ask me, like, what does it work? What is it like working in fashion? I'm like, have you ever seen the double wears Prada? It's exactly like that.
1: So yeah, let's talk about
0: what is your role like? So what does client development yeah. mean, right? So, so like. I mean, client my can... development is like CRM marketing, which is client relationship management. So I've always kind of been in jobs like that. Basically what I'm tasked with is managing relationships with customers, like the, big centers, involve... like the people
1: who spend a lot of money.
0: Yeah. In like typical companies, you call them customers and like high-end fashion, you call them clients.
1: But it's just right. a person who spends a lot of money. What's um, the like, so if, if you can say a client is considered someone who spends X amount, can you say the amount per year? Are you allowed to?
0: I cannot say that, but we consider all of our customers' clients. Oh, okay. But people spend a lot of money at Prada, more than you would think. Like, people are dropping it at Prada. Oh,
1: man, I get it. I, I,
0: yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Stepping,
1: stepping, in in the world, stepping into the world of finance from, like, even from, like, the music business, it's, like, a different, like, the way people talk numbers is way different than, like, anything inter, anybody in entertainment can, like, fathom. And so I also know that fashion is like the people who's like, whether it's you're a, a, a financial, you're a, you're a money manager, or you're the, the spouse or partner of a money manager, those people, the people who are in finance are spending money at places like where you work. So yeah. I, can, I can imagine it without and like continue. Yeah.
0: So that's client development and luxury is it's like client, customer relationship management but because it's luxury it just takes like a whole it rises to a different level it's not only about how do we offer them great customer service and like give them a gift here and there it's like what type of experience are we gonna create for them we're flying them out to the fashion show we're giving them X Y Z Like Prada is showing a film at the Venice Biennale we need to take clients there and host them how do we get them to America's Cup it's a lot about experiences and it's a lot about like managing relationships. So I'm definitely using my analytical skill set as well. I build a lot of models in terms of like client loyalty programs, like how are we gonna build these things out? Like, what is the strategy we have in, in order to engage clients? Like, what are we doing to support our latest collections and create some kind of experience around them? But it's also a lot of handholding with the stores, which I really enjoy. Um, Prada is really liberal about company travel Mm -hmm. so I'm constantly traveling whether it's going to Milan for a fashion show whether it's going to like one of these other experiences like going to Venice for an experience Um, it's going to Toronto to do some type of dinner or some type of like partner experience going to Napa to do a wine experience or just going to stores and training the general managers and stores associates on how to really engage clients and set up like an appointment for them and just make everything that touches every interaction, rather, with Prada and experience that aligns with the brand. Prada, I think, is really different from any other brand because it's like a family owned company. And I didn't know this before oh, I started really? working for Prada. Wow. I had no idea that Prada really consisted of like the granddaughter of the founder, a woman named Yuja Prada, who is like the creative designer of this company. And then it's her husband who was the CEO? It's like a full family company. Yes.
1: I have a question for you, and this is yes. and this is a this is a personal question. Yeah. As a fashion guy, can you? I, I don't know how often you get to interface with uh, Mutual Prada, but can you tell her to bring the men's line of Mew Mew back? I just ha- I just had to find. So.
0: Did, is it coming are back? Are you familiar that Raf was just signed on to be like a co-designer? I don't know. No, it like we haven't announced like a men's Miu Miu, but like I think that's something that could come now that we have Raf like signed back on. So
1: I just bought these leather these leather uh, pants off uh, not just but before uh, COVID shut everything down. I bought a pair of leather Miu, Miu uh pants on the real real off
0: Grail. Oh. oh, what's the real real? What's that? The real real is like it's where you can get every, everything like all oh of we this, got like, we, I'm gonna text of, you off I'm gonna text yeah. you after
1: this and we're gonna talk yeah. about it because listen I,
0: anyway continue continue telling we'll, we'll talk I know yeah we'll, we'll have, talk. have this, to talk about it but people what was I saying oh yeah like Prada's is a family company so anything that you would experience in like a smaller family-run company that is happening within this organization so it's crazy I have exposure to so many things that are going on I've only met we have to refer to her as mrs prada in the company it's a little weird but we're like oh my god mrs prada wants to do this or mrs prada this i've only met her once like had a conversation with her once but as i'm saying that it's wild it's like wild that i've even like had a conversation with this woman i remember it was like at one of our fashion shows and i was chatting with her for like 60 seconds about something but it was a really big deal because not that many people in the company have been able to interact with her um but i've seen her quite a few times especially if it's in a fashion show environment um so our offices are in new york city and there's three seasons of fashion so of course fall winter spring summer but then for women's there's something called cruise or resort yeah and typically we do our resort show in new york city And our office in new york city it's actually a building that prada has owned for like decades so they have this huge building. It's like completely empty because there's only a hundred people in corporate in North America. So there's a ton of different floors. It's like a design studio. There's, um, our repair lab is in the building, but we also have a floor that we use for fashion shows sometimes. And so last year our resort show was there. And so I came into contact with her at that fashion show as well. And then the, when I spoke with her, it was at our fashion show in Milan at our foundation, Prada Fundazione in Milan, which was really cool. But working for a fashion brand, it's it's amazing. I think fashion is art and I don't think anyone embodies that more or better than Prada. Everything that's done, it's within like an artistic eye. It's, it's really about like producing something that has so much integrity and is making a statement. And because it's a family owned company and there aren't shareholders and all these other elements involved, Mutual Prada just has the full artistic expression outlet to herself and no one really gets in her way. You know, and it shows
1: though. It, sh- it absolutely shows. I mean, as a, as a yeah. kid, i mean, like, um, you know, my mother wearing Prada and then like, you know, me developing my own taste and seeing, you know, finding the items that I liked and just seeing how progressive they were as a label. I mean, it shows, it, it shows in the work and, and the things that they produce. Or that you all produce, I should say. Because yeah.
0: you're part of the company. Yeah. It's it's really remarkable. I I've I've always considered myself a stylish person. I love clothes, but I think this job just like elevated me to that fashion element
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the way that I think before I just liked what I liked. Now I I like things because of the story behind it, which is just it's a new level for me in terms of fashion and my understanding of it. Because like I said, there's just a story behind like everything that is produced at Prada and just being in the stores and seeing the way it's sold. And then obviously like my job is to interact with clients. So I'm kind of like a brand ambassador in a lot of ways as well, because I'm constantly in front of clients and I'm I'm like, introducing them like, hello, like welcome to this event, or I'm happy to host you. Sometimes I spend days nonstop with clients like hosting them like overseas. So I need to know the brand like frontwards, backwards and really ensure that when I'm coming into that situation, I'm I'm being authentic to who I am, but I'm also representing that brand. So it's it's been a really, really great opportunity. And I feel really fortunate to have had this job because like in fashion, there's just not that many jobs like this. Like yeah. When I said North America, there's a hundred people in our headquarters. My team is three people. So.
1: So we got about, we have about 12 minutes left. I want to ask you one more question. And I want to open it up to Q and A for folks um what's next if there's a next do you like is to your earlier point you look up one to two levels and there's somebody that has a job either either is someone that has a job that you you know you think you'll be interested in or there isn't um and not to put you on the spot but like what do you see yourself going from here and and, you know what is that it is
0: it's a hard one um so i'm going to be 30 in september Um, like, as we talked about, I recently got married. So now we're working on like our plans. We're both about our money. So we're trying to figure out, okay, like, what do we need to do to build like that wealth that we want? Cause that's something that's just, to be honest, it's like on our mind. Um, I'm always thinking about how I can carry the baton forward because I think my parents did such a good job. I think from my perspective, like my parents represented like that first generation. I mean, like your father as well, John, like that generation of like black people that could accumulate a certain amount of wealth and have opportunities and access to jobs and education. So something that I'm always asking myself is like, okay, how am I gonna like take it to the next level? And I think I'm at that age that I'm, I'm an adult, like now's the time that I'm trying to balance like my ability to take it to that next level professionally with like my desires, what's in my heart, which is entrepreneurship, but also balancing a family. But just taking it back to like the professional standpoint, I'm kind of teeter tottering between whether I want to continue in like luxury fashion or if I need to make a run for whatever type of business I want to start in entrepreneurship now. So that's something that's always on my mind. Um, Like I'm blessed to have the job that I have i recently was promoted and i do look around and see other roles that i would like <laughs> thanks um there's a lot of opportunity within Prada because it's such a small company and i didn't really touch on this but like there's no black people at this company
1: <laughs> there's no what
0: there's like no black people there are three black
1: people I was gonna, I didn't in our corporate
0: people. office and it's it's that's a whole nother conversation about what it means to be like a black person, African American, a Prada in the fashion industry, it's still very close. Well, to
1: I mean, we let's talk about that though. that's something i, I you I forgot to even bring it up because I, I was enjoying listening to you talk about you know your experience there. but like, what is that like? again, coming well, I think what I've gleaned in this conversation and 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 reflecting on a few things is that I recognize that post um you know now that we've obviously we graduated high school, most of my friends from that time, went to school with you and not so much the kids that I went to Cranbrook with because Cranbrook, my experience at Cranbrook was far different than, um, than that of, you know, whether it's you or Aaron (coughs) um, or anyone else, uh, Celeste, anyone else, or Jasmine that was at uh, Country Day, it's far different. Um, And that's why I was always with you guys more so than I was with, um, you know, Cranbrook kids. But that aside, what is your, what was your experience like, I mean, what is your experience like being one of a handful of, uh, fuck African-American, just black people in general, whether you're black from, you're Afro-Italian, you are, you know, African-American, like, what is that like?
0: It's challenging. And it's, it's not so much challenging in the corporate office, but Prada is a company that is it's very liberal about travel and everything happens in Milan. So you have to go to Milan, you have to have these interactions. And like Italy isn't used to people who aren't Italian or European. You Within have to learn Europe, Italian? They're... No, go ahead.
1: Do you have to learn Italian?
0: No. I mean, okay. I know like little things, but like I'm not that invested in learning Italian. Like okay. I'm already trying to learn German because of my husband. Um, but Europe is just a whole other beast in terms of race. And that's, that's actually like a whole nother conversation, but Europeans from my experience are very like insular in terms of like the country that they're from. So like Italians love to like claim Italy, like Germans love to claim Germany that French love to claim like French, I mean, France, sorry. Um, (laughs) so not only is it like a barrier being not Italian, but then adding in like the black layer, there's like, I have seen five people in Italy in my life like and I've been Italy quite a few times like I never see other black people there and not only to be black but to have like natural hair and to just it's something that they don't understand and I think when people don't understand certain things it's difficult for them to interact or support and I don't know it's a challenging element I'm feel grateful that I'm on a team at Prada that is pretty diverse my boss is Mexican um my other teammate was cuban so like we're we represent a more diverse set of people within the organization but i think that diversity in fashion will continue to be a challenge but as one of the people who is in the industry and represents that group i just i need to be on my best behavior it's like it's a classic story of like an african-american in any um yeah. setup like you need to be excellent all the time. Like you can't fail because I feel like there's people are just looking at you with a certain outsider perspective. So you just need to show up, you need to perform. And especially in fashion, like I need to always look my best. I always need to be put together because someone's going to say something if I don't.
1: Okay. Um, so I guess we can open it up to the Q and a, if any of you all that are tuned in right now have questions, click that question mark, uh, that's next to the comment, uh, or the, yeah, the comment bar and you can just uh, type your question and submit it to Kim. Yeah, we have one already. Um, oh, really? We have we have yeah, we have two. How do you feel being a black woman has helped and or hurt you in your career?
0: Let's see how has it okay, I can start with how I think it hurt me. Okay. I think and I think my answer to this question, I think it depends on the environment that you're in. And I think you always need to navigate to the environment where elements of who you are become a positive instead of a negative. In my first job, I feel like being an African-American woman hurt me in certain ways that I feel like I was raised always to like be put together. I need to look my best. I need to be very formal in terms of the way I interact with people. And I think in my role at American Express, that hurt me. Mm -hmm. I think that my conditioning of always being very presentable on together all the time a lot of my colleagues looked at that in a negative way Really? yeah I I really felt that way I felt like I in that role I needed to adjust who I was to the culture of the company and there wasn't room for me to be myself
1: are you saying it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost like American Express. The corporate culture isn't very uh, formal. It's more a little. It's a little casual. If you yeah, will.
0: I think American Express is definitely very casual. That's
1: funny because you gotta you gotta check certain boxes to even get an American Express. That's excellent.
0: yeah. Maybe That's, it was just the marketing department. But I feel like my togetherness and being being very presentable in, oh and no. I got you. We're back. Formal at American Express it did not serve me well. Okay. Yeah, I think people didn't understand where I was coming from, like my background as an African American female. Um, in ways that it's hurt me, I mean, I'm sorry that it's helped me. I think this just goes without saying, I think, by being so put together, Mm -hmm. and very formal and just prepared, maybe overprepared in certain environments. It served me well in terms of performing. I think that everything that my parents told me when i was young like you need to always like be not perfect but you need to be like a 10 like you need to have you need to be prepared you need to go into environments like knowing everything you need to you can't just show up you show up and you show out and i think that has served me well and i think that maybe other people hadn't been raised in that way and they hadn't been conditioned from a young age that like you need to be excellent all the time and by that being ingrained in me from a young age,
1: I think it served me well in my career. Gotcha. Um, um, that, that was the same question. Well, I don't know if we have any more. Does anybody else have any questions for Kim? Uh, if not, I'm not going to hold you up. I think we've done the hour. I try to keep it between 45 minutes and an hour, and we are at 57 minutes. So, you know, I appreciate you. My friend, my lovely friend, my
0: Thanks John.
1: Brilliant friend. I, feel like I I'm
0: sweating. I have this like light on my face. Oh,
1: we have a question. How do you think your experience at Harvard Business School prepared you for being one of the only black people that product? I think we kinda already answered that. Kinda, right?
0: I I'll like just add a little bit of light. I think Harvard was such like a shocking experience to me. I feel like I was dropped in cold water. Two minutes
1: remaining, by the way. Two minutes OK,
0: remaining. I think I was dropped in ice cold water. I don't think I I can handle anything after an MBA at Harvard. I think that I was someone who went through life thinking that I could fit in with any group. I could, I think I, we talked about this, John. I've moved around so many times from a child, from a young age. I was constantly moving around because of my parents' jobs even in my adult years, like I go to college in a different place. Like I moved to New York, like I decide I want to go to Rwanda. I go to business school in Boston. Like I marry someone who's from Germany. Like I'm very used to different environments. I think Harvard Business School kind of dropped me in ice cold water. And it reminded me that there are still experiences that I may not be able to walk into and be able to knock out of the park. So I need to be more observant and give things more space to learn and understand that new environment. And so Harvard Business School taught me that. So I think it set me up really well for product going into another environment where I'm around a completely different group of people. Got
1: gotcha. you. Well, thank you so much. I love you. Uh, <laughs> give your give your uh, mom and dad my best. Tell Kelly I um, I'll text you because we got some things. That I, we do, things we gotta, do. I got to ask you, I was supposed to ask you um if we can get it my homie he saw the flyer. he was like yo can we get a discount um, who
0: said this
1: but no i'll hit you i'll hit you offline thank you so much uh for taking the time to speak with me i will talk to you soon stay safe and talk soon bye bye